Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that you are all well. I hope that there is a summery feel to wherever you are. And even if you are in the bleakest of midwinter, whichever part of the world you're in, there is always that light that shines ever brightly within us. And sometimes we tend to forget that. We look to the outside world for happiness, for peace and for joy. And somehow it goes far away from us when we do that. It escapes through our fingers. Because really everything and anything that is worthwhile is actually deep within us. And that's something that I've learned through my life, that all the answers that you could ever find are within us. There is something beautiful out there. There is something divine that creates this planet, that creates all the planets, the worlds and all of creation. And it's important not to forget that. It doesn't matter what you believe in. We can't deny the truth, and the truth will shine eternally. And I am actually, I just said to my guest before we came on, I'm really, really quite honoured and delighted to welcome my guest today, who is Jack W. Gregory. Jack is a journalist, investigator, and film consultant, and also an actor. Jack was a former criminal, debt collector and homeless addict who turned his life around using his creative talents. Having struggled with mental illness his whole life, his road on this life journey has not been an easy one. Jack got clean from drugs in 2014 and began to change his life. In 2015, he became seriously ill, where he died for four minutes and, as a result, developed brain damage through hypoxia. The trauma caused Jack to have a breakdown, and this very event changed his life forever. Jack is also known as the accidental journalist and has a popular live webcast via Zoom and Facebook Live called Live and Undrugged, in which he has interviewed people from all walks of life, 
ranging from celebrities, former criminals, and people in recovery. He likes to share his story across the world on various platforms in the hope that through his story, he can bring a positive change in people's lives. Today, he shares his incredible story. Welcome, dear Jack. Hi, um, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming on. How are you today? I'm good, I'm good. Just managed to get sat down and um, a bit relaxed. <laughs> Just oh, good, well. good. I Have you got it. a couple of... <laughs> Have you got a cup of tea or coffee there? I have. Uh, you, you'll never find me far away from a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, well, I've got two bottles of water and I always do that. And one is sparkling and one is still. And for some reason, I don't know what that is, but I'm, I've always got these bottles of water with me. I think it's a little sort of, you know, what's life if you can't have a little bit of coffee, a little bit of water or tea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The small things that cause, you know, the greatest pleasure, I think. Yeah, well, I, I gave up everything else, so coffee's the only thing left <laughs> on my list. Oh, now, talking of which, my goodness, I have to say to all the people listening out there, Jack's story, you know, all my guests have a fantastic story because every life has this, incredible way of unraveling itself and you know you think sometimes your life begins in one way as a child and ends up in a completely different way many many times I think through our lifetime but Jack you have an exceptionally extraordinary life story and where do I begin let's go right back to the beginning yeah and tell us a little bit about your life, how it all began, before we go into all the different avenues? Yeah, so um, I feel like I should probably carry a trigger warning because, um, mm. you, know, you know, as a person, because my life is just a constant trigger warning, so I do apologise. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have any memories before I was eight. Um, I was kind of a shy meek kid with um no real strength um uh, you know i was i was i was kind of the bullied kid and then my first trauma which is the one that sent me down the the longest road was i remember um my mom sitting me on her knee and it was the weekend uh, of my birthday my eighth birthday so you're looking at around 1980 85 i think um and i'll, I'll always kind of vividly remember that look that she she sat me on the knee and my dad was sat in his chair reading his paper with his glasses hanging over and occasionally peeking over and my mum said you know i love you um yeah and we'd do anything for you but um you need to know um, you're not our real son. Uh, you're, you're adopted. Um, um, we have to tell you. Um, and looking back in retrospect, I can see that it broke her to do that. Um, and I didn't, when she said that, I didn't 
hear that I was loved and that I was loved so much that I was taken in by a family that that wanted me. All I heard was, you're not wanted by someone else. You're not wanted by a real mum. And that sent me down a... Yeah, like I say, that's, that's, that sent me down a road of deception. And um, the way that I dealt with it was I didn't... Having an existential crisis at eight, and I, 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 I didn't know who I was or where I was from. Or... So I started to make these worlds up in my head, and I started to make these stories up. I couldn't read all right, but, you know, and I, I started pretending to be other people, and I, I, I started to lie to, um, to myself, to other people, because it, it gave me comfort, because if I couldn't be the person that I knew that I was before that I could be anybody that I wanted after um and yeah my life became yeah it, it became difficult after that and that was at the age of eight and did they eight. say to you who your parents were who your real parents were yeah so I was told that my mum that I was born in Glasgow and that that my mum was young um and probably mentally ill. I didn't know anything else. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've since found out. I, you know, I've, 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 I met my real mum. I had a relationship with her. But, um, yeah, no, that's, that's all I knew. So I went through life not knowing really who I was. I knew I was born in Scotland, and, 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 and that was about it. So at the age of eight, which, you know, they say up until the age of seven, you know, children remain children mm. from the age of seven onwards. They're crucial year, years. Mm. You were faced with the trauma of not really knowing who you were. Yeah. Was that an immediate reaction, Jack, to um, this shock? Did your... I suppose personality change overnight, or was it something that began this roller coaster of emotion and trauma that then led on to other things? I think it pretty much changed overnight, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, I, I was still very close to my mum for a lot of years, and my dad, you know, I love my dad, mum, and dad's a bit, but. Um, it was, you know, when, when you've got such a little mind, and I was seen as uh, a kid with low intelligence. I was brought up in a town, a mining town um, that was surrounded by mining towns in, in, in Yorkshire um, that was affected, but, you know, and still is affected by that when the mines were closed. Um, my family were um, better off than most, you know. My dad didn't work in the mines and neither... You know, my mum was a social worker and my dad worked on the train, so we had a, a, a better life than some of the other kids. Um, but still, I felt different. And all the other kids thought I was weird. Um, and I was, to be honest. Um, probably not the easiest to get on with. I, and when I did find a friend, I got a bit clingy and then that would push him away. Um mm. Mm. And, you know, uh, I'd just lie and lie and lie. Uh, and that was my go-to um, knee-jerk reaction for a, a, a lot of things over the years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much, uh, 
you know, the charm was straight away and it was just over the next few weeks, few months after um, I was told that I think my behaviour just got worse. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that time at all? No. Um, no. Not much. Not much. Um, I remember bits and bobs, you know, some of the kids around the the the, the street, and I ju I just know that I wasn't liked very much by the other kids, um, you know, whatever their reasons were. I always felt like the outsider. Um, and to be honest, all these kids were a lot physically stronger than me and I, I wasn't very physically strong. Um, I always had a brain on me. I, I was good with words, but um, I just, you know, I, I couldn't get it down on paper. I had no way of venting it. So I, I would speak it out and, you know, these lies would come out and um, that, that got me in a lot of trouble for quite a while. And when did you meet your mum, your real mum, for the first time? Oh, no. You're talking... 2008. Okay. And what about your dad, your real dad? Um, I didn't really know much about him. Um, I know mm -hmm. he... Uh, yeah, no, I didn't really know much about him, to be honest. Um. So you uh, met your mum a... in 2008. So how old were you? So I, I must have been, what, late 20s, mid to late 20s. And how was that meeting? Well, it was, it was, it was all right. I mean, I, um, I'd, I'd kind of looked into it and then I got a phone call uh, from this guy asking to... Um, speak to Mr. Bissett and Bissett is a name that I was born with. And I said, I haven't been called that in a long time. And he said, um, it was a very calm voice. It was, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm your mother's best friend. And, um, I'm ringing to make contact. And I, I burst into tears, you know, I, I kind of had my life back on par then mm. for the first time in a long time. And, you know, it, uh, I, I, I cried and I said, look, I'm going to have to ring you back. My daughter was only a few months old. Um, you know, and I, uh, I feel better with food. So, you know, we went out and had a fry up. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the go-to thing for me, a, a nice fry up. And we, you know, we went out for a fry up and my, my wife at the time and I, we, we sat, we sat and talked about it. And then I rang her later on and we made introductions and I spoke to all of her sisters, uh, and then we just built a relationship up, um, through that. Now, there's so many things that went on in between. Yeah. You begin, because I have to say to everybody out there, if you were to sort of read about all the things that Jack has been through, all the things that Jack has done and achieved, also in this time, it's like living 10 lifetimes, Jack. Yeah two lifetimes really <laughs> um, that the, the old me and, and, and the new me 
Um, so tell us a little bit. Okay, so there was an old okay. you, and then there's the new you, yeah. which is probably the real you now. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't know who I was back then. You know, mm. I, I, I really didn't. So I, you know, like I say, I, I began to lie, and um, they saw the Wakefield District Council saw me as low intelligence. So I, I was taken out of the mainstream um, school system and put into the special school system. Mm. And uh, this is about uh, 12 years old, I guess. And um, it was a, 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 a small school in the middle of a town called Pontefract. Uh, and a mile in every, it, it's pretty much a mile in every direction is farms. Um, and because I lied so much, I, that, that's that's where I I'd begun to be abused by uh, appropriate adults sexually, um, uh, and teachers, uh, people that call themselves teachers anyway, um, and they picked up on that. You know, I, I I lied for comfort, and they said, "Well, nobody will believe you anyway." So I I. I locked that away for many, many years. And then when I left, I ran out of school. Um, you know, while I was at school at dinner time, I, I was running um, uh, drugs uh, for some of the local dealers. Uh, How old were you at the time? 15, 14, 15, um, mm -hmm. coming up to 16, because um, I could get back in time for pudding at dinner time. Um, right. You know, so I'd, okay. I'd run V8, uh, you know, knock off VHS. Uh, they just started really in England. That um, were doing the uh, knock off CDs. I think it was. Show how long ago it was. It was Prodigy Fat of the Land. Um, mm -hmm. Was one of the first CDs that I was running about, um, and y you know. Uh, pawn stuff like that, and uh, you know, I was making money. So by by the time I left school, I knew how to make money uh, uh, in a dishonest way. So I became really good at it. I became really good at being other people. I I came really good at pretending to be other people. So I would work with some of the um, short con firms and long con firms based out of Leeds. Um, and I would make, you know, I'd make my money um, as well as doing like honest jobs, like working in a key cutting shop and uh, mm -hmm. doing paper rounds and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it, um, it became really difficult for me to be able to distinguish from reality and, and, and fiction at, at one point. So I took to drugs, um, you know, and, and drink and I, they helped me put away some of these feelings. So at, I guess at, at 14, 15, you know, that's when I found myself at my first, um, AA meeting, really, <laughs> recovery meeting. At but 14? Is, yeah, I mean, this was through one of the teachers, uh, and I didn't know that, you, you know, um, 
he said that he wouldn't tell my parents and that he'd help me and he'd help me get get clean. And he introduced me to this guy called Dale and he, he was to become my sponsor and they were abusing me between them. And, um, you know, it was just a way for them to traffic me and keep me quiet um, while under the guise of helping a troubled kid. So when I could leave school, I left school and then I left home and got harder into the drugs, harder into the drink. Um, I was living in a, a bed sit in uh, Pontefract, a place called Horse Fair. Um, I had a mate who was really struggling with his sexuality, struggling to tell his parents that he was gay and... We went out on a massive bender at one point, and then we, um, on the way back, um, we, you know, we'd been to see his brother and stuff, and because he, he was a dealer out Bradford Way, Tong, and um, on the way back, we came to a a level crossing, and uh, he lit a fag and took a drag off it and smiled at me and then put the cigarette in my mouth and hugged me and told me he loved me and then just ran and towards the level crossing as it was dropping and he was hit by a train and that broke me that really broke me and I tried, I tried to commit suicide. And I said, I don't even, don't even know why I tried. I ended up in a hospital and I bumped into a girl that I went to school with and she was in for the same sort of thing. And, you know, what do two people like that do? They decide to have a relationship and that was not good. Um, and... Yeah, it all, all, all got too difficult. It, it, got, it got to the point where I just wanted to just fall off of, off of the earth. I'd got into, I was living in Portsmouth. I'd got into rehab. Um, I was doing day rehab as well. Um, I did Princess Trust, and by the time I'd Finished the printer's trust. I was six months sober. This was one of my first time getting proper sober. Uh, and then in, I suppose, April 2001, I moved to Norwich. Um, and I was sober. And I was sober for quite a few years. And, you know, I led a good life. And, you know, people knew me. And I started writing, getting involved with the local film industry. I started writing films and stuff like that I'd, I'd done a I'd learned to read and write in, in, in jail in like 1999 2000 um, and then I always said I'd, you know if I could write it'd be dangerous but I never never really did anything with it but I always had a head for poetry um, yeah my best friend who his name was Darren before I left um, before I left Pontefract he was he was like a mentor. He used to take me DJing and teach, taught me how to do close-up magic. And, you know, he, he helped me keep playing, you know, and, and, and not be on the drink. And he kidnapped me from my flat one day and took me up to his and 
um, f- threw me in his spare bedroom and there was bottles of water there and and food there and he, he locked the door and he, he, he nailed, nailed it shut and sat there and took the abuse while I went through cold turkey and sat there and hugged me and loved me all the way through it. And I'll never forget that. We lost him not long after. And that's why I moved. We lost him in the October. Um, and, and that's pretty much why I left. Um, he was in a, a car accident and he um, ended up with thrombosis in his leg and it traveled to his brain and he, he passed away a few, a few weeks later in hospital. But um, I knew I had to get away from that. Um, so Portsmouth was good for me in the point that I, I could, you know, I'd got away from that and I, I'd started getting clean and then I'd, 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 I'd met the woman that would become my first wife and um, she lived here in Norfolk, in, in Norwich. And, I, you know, I moved here and I'd had, you know, I'd had a good life and I took on her kids as, as, as a step parent. And, you know, we had, a, uh, we, we, we got married in uh, 2006 and we had our daughter in 2007 and, was my absolute world and um yeah it was all right and then i started drinking again and doing the odd drug there and here and there my marriage started to fail because i became a person that i didn't want to be um i I cheated on my wife, I'm not going to lie. And um, the marriage ended and I ended up like in, in, in different places, living with different people, staying on sofas. Um, I'd have a flat for a short amount of time and then my money would get stopped and then I'd get booted out. And I got stuck in this vicious cycle, you know, Um and I just, I, I, I couldn't deal with it. And I ended up homeless and back on the gear and um, out fighting and, and, you know, for money and stealing and doing whatever I could. Mm. Doing whatever I could. And um, I'd, I'd been living in, I'd, I'd been living in the spare room of a, of a young guy that was just as broken as I was. And, you know, I turned up at a, a food bank one day and I'm, I'm, I'm sat there and, you know, they're, they're still serving coffee. The lady that's serving the coffee, she, she saw my Doctor Who t-shirt and she said, oh, I love Doctor Who, uh, you know, and we got talking and um, she was really kind and she bought me tobacco and took me out for a sandwich and, you know, went above and beyond despite being told not to by other people in the thing that I was bad news. Um, but she did. Um, yeah, we, we got together, um, as a couple, we're now married by the way, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, we got together, moved in with her, um, things were going good. I started going to a church, um, started looking at my faith um and then in the february 2000 actually sorry um before i moved in i found myself sat in a crack house 
on the floor with a ball in my hand. And this must have been about 10 o'clock at night, because um, at least it was like a, a roof over my head. And I said, God, look, I don't even know if you exist. I like to think you do, but why are you putting me through this? I, I can't do this anymore. If you do exist, either kill me and take me away, or take away this hunger, take away this thirst, because I can't live like this anymore. I fell asleep. Um, and I woke up at about one minute past 12, two minutes past 12 on the 27th of June, 2014. And I haven't used a day since. That was kind of, it was taken away. The, the will to use was taken away. Um, and I moved in with my partner and I was going to church and things were great. And then that October, I started getting a bit poorly. Um, and then we had, the, we had a good Christmas. And then February, February 2015, I started feeling really, really ill. Um, ended up in hospital um, with stomach problems. Um, and then came out and then within two weeks, I'd started feeling really, really ill. Um, I'd gone to pick my daughter up on a Friday. We walked about a hundred yards and every single bit of breath just came out of my lungs. Um, I exhaled and I had to sit down. I couldn't breathe. That night I shook so hard on the bed that I nearly fell off the bed. Um, the Saturday morning I managed to have, uh, a bacon sandwich um, the Saturday night, I didn't sleep at all. I was surviving on painkillers and prayer. Um, the Sunday morning, I woke up and I rung my ex-wife and I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to go to the hospital. I'm going to have to ring an ambulance. She said, don't do that. You'll scare our daughter. I'll come and get you. Um, I'll drop you off at the A&E and you can give your daughter a kiss so she knows it's going to be all right. So that's what I did. And that was about four three four o'clock i suppose um, by upper seven i was dead um type two lung failure um tuberculosis double pneumonia pleurisy some disease that they hadn't seen in about 40 years um I'd had people coming in to visit me while I was in there and I'd had some points where I was kind of vivid and talkative and other points where I would just phone into my head and I became convinced that I'd caused a pandemic. And then that's whenever the drugs that they had me on um, caused hallucinations and yeah, I, I was convinced I'd caused a pandemic and, and, and that everybody was dying outside my door. I was convinced that I was being punished for every single bad thing that I'd ever done, every lie that I'd ever told. I thought I was being punished for, you know, <laughs> the life that I'd chosen to live. I had so much guilt and shame buried inside of me that 
uh, I, you know, that I, that I kept back even after I stopped the drugs, I kept it back and I kept it back and I, I didn't let people into it, but it all just came out and I broke. I was convinced that my daughter had died and that um, they forced me to do a Skype call and they, they were controlling her like a puppet and it was just, it was, I can talk about it now, but I, I couldn't mm. talk about it for a long time. It, it was, I was so broken. Um, I wouldn't eat. I was six stone, six ounces laying in a hospital bed. I had to learn to walk again, um, to eat again. And, you know, I was told that I had hypoxia um, and, and I'd end up with slight brain damage. Um, on a, it was all dark. My vision was dark, and it was just I was convinced that people were out to get me. They're holding kangaroo car outside the door, and then I think the drugs must have started wearing off, and some clarity started coming to mind because that's when I met Jesus at the end of my bed, and he didn't really say anything, and. But I saw him quite clearly um, and he just smiled and things just started getting clearer. And people, you know, I don't know, some people think I'm a bit of a nutter, but, you know, that, that was the, the most thing that gave me clarity. And I hadn't had a wash for weeks and I, I managed to wash myself. And, um, <laughs> you know, I know a few days before that the um, the pastor from out, we spoke, we spoke about this the other day, actually, Billy. The pastor from my church had come up to pray for my soul because they thought they were going to lose me. Mm. Uh, and I went from that to having clarity and having a, a you, you, you know, a, just a, that fog lifted. And I started to eat and the nurses were really surprised, you know, I'd gone mute for a while and I started to talk again and, um, I'd had a job uh, before I went in there and um, I got made redundant while I was in there and I got a bit of redundancy money. So I decided that um, I was going to said I could leave if I hit eight stone. So I, every day I would have my breakfast and then go down for a second breakfast and then people would bring me sweets and tins of spam and all you could smell through the ward because the nurses were so happy. That I was eating again was this spam cooking in, in the nurses' quarters. Um, the oh. most glorious smell you'll ever smell in a hospital, I'm telling you. And um, I, I start putting on weight, and within two, uh, you know, two weeks, um, I was up to eight stone, and they let me out, and I that's when I started rebuilding my life and looking at my trauma because these are the things that I'd never looked at before and the reason that I kept relapsing and the reason that I had so much guilt and so much shame for some of the stuff that I'd done was because I'd had all this, this guilt and shame and hurt. So I started looking at it. I started working with it with um, the elders at my church and I, I started looking at myself and then... I was contacted by a friend who was working as a um, 
uh, in, in the casting department on a film that was being filmed at, um, a few miles outside Norwich. And I was asked if I would go and speak to the director about the life that I'd had. So I said, yeah. And uh, I was taken out there and the um, director was um, Joanna Hogg um, and the film was a souvenir. Um, and I spoke to her and she gave me a part and I, I got to, I got to act with uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, Honor in her first ever film. And I got to work with Tom Burke and, um, you know, tell him about the life that I'd had. And then I was, you know, even before I'd, I'd, I'd left the set, I was invited back for the second one because they knew it was going to be followed up and that it, it was partly produced by Martin Scorsese. And then, um, yeah, I, I I did a couple of films in between, short films in between. And I um, went back for the second part turned down a part in Jingle Jangle um, to go and work on the souvenir part two. Um, and then between that, I wrote my first book, Personal Apocalypse, which was about my life and um, what I'd gone through, but kind of a poetic interpretation. And then in 2017, it would get a bit darker again and I would have some mental health issues because um, you know, I like I said, I'd had a relationship, built a relationship with my real mum and um, I lost her to cancer. Um, I spent the first lockdown um, watching nothing but 80s films because I couldn't cope. And then the second lockdown, so you're talking about October 2019, a friend of mine, um, Jason Edwards, who's a hostage and barricade negotiator by trade he said you need to do something he said you need to either write a new book or put something creative he says you need to build your confidence back up he says because i know what sort of man you can be when you've got your confidence and when you've been creative mm. so I, I i he said you can interview me and so we we did this interview over facebook live and 1.2k people watched it. So I said, oh, I'll do it again. And then I got a friend of mine, Dominic Negus, um, former gangster and licensed and unlicensed bare knuckle fighter. And that got 1.9k. And so, you know, I, I just started doing that. And I, mm. I started interviewing people that had been broken by life and started getting stories and then realizing that actually we all share some similarities and I knew that I needed to start getting honest because lies had dogged my life for so many years before I knew that if I was going to do this I needed to be honest and if I wanted I believe that once you've been through certain amounts of trauma or you know when you've got through the other side and when you've lived a certain life and you've got through the other side and you've you know, you've, you've changed your life. You have a duty to educate. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to educate. Um, I spent six months working with um, escapees of human trafficking and, and, and realized that actually 
I'd been trafficked as a kid. So that's what that was um, domestically. Um, and I wrote a book about it. Um, What's the book called? The book is called Between the Streetlights and Red Lights. Um, and it's really, it's, you, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of two separate books in one, really. One is um, telling you how to spot anybody that's been trafficked and what to do and how to help people. And the other is people's stories. And then how I how I felt when they were, when I was interviewing them. Um, I've just released both books, but um, <clears throat> yeah. And then I, I started getting people saying, can I come on and tell my story? I, you know, I've got a story to tell, but no way to tell it. And I knew that I had to be a voice for people that felt they didn't have a voice. Um, mm. And yeah, uh, that's when I started doing other people's podcasts and, you know, because by giving other people a voice, I'd kind of lost my voice. Hmm. So then I started, decided to reach out to other people, other podcasters and say, I've got a story to share. Um, and here you find me today, you know. Um, yes. I've probably missed a few bits out and stuff like that. But in essence... You know, that's um, that's where you find me sat in my shed doing a podcast. I'm left speechless, Jack. Listening to your life, I really, I really didn't want to interrupt because um, I wanted to hear it myself, but also I wanted the listeners to hear it in, as you say, in the essence of its rawness mm. of a person laying bare their soul in effect and i think that's important in this life is to actually i felt i walked the journey with you in fact listening to you and the things that you have been through but yet through it all and I don't want to make it something that's not important mm. because I think it's truly important what you have been through. But also what comes across to me is that you have this incredible fate, I think, of somehow being pulled through this chasm of fire. Mm. And... By the divine decree, you have come out of it the other side. So many times it seems you've been dead and reborn and dead and reborn. And, yeah. you know, it's a constant state of death. And I think, you know, someone once said, if you want to really know how to live, then you really have to accept that you're going to die at any time. You know, to be reminded of death constantly mm. is to really know how to live. And I think that's what you have done. And I'm astounded by your strength of spirit that has carried you through. And I'm sure these experiences of these highly spiritual experiences that you've encountered seem to have been the turning points in your life mm. that have somehow sort of 
the hand of the divine has reached down to you and pulled you back out again and reached down and pulled you back out again, which one would say, God has great plans for you. Yeah, I believe that. I do believe that, you know, um, my, my church runs a kind of a theology school called the, um, School of Supernatural Life because we believe in a God that is so naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. Mm-hmm. And the church isn't a place for, you know, to be for people to go and be in a gallery of good people. It's a hospital for broken people. And, you know, I've learned so much. Um, you know, I now help out at, at, at that. Um and it is, we, we call it facing giants. Mm-hmm. Me, me sharing my story was facing a giant, you know, and getting honest was facing a giant because if I was really honest with myself, that there was a lot of fear there. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And these are the things that I needed to shed before I could get any further in my physical journey, mental journey and spiritual journey, you know, um, because my, my mental health had been up and down for years and it's only now in the past coming up to eight years that, that, that I've been clean and that I've, I've actually started to find that, the, you know, the old, I, I believe that when I was baptised, um, the, 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 the old me died and the new me was born. So I was given a, a, a clean slate and I could become anything that I wanted. And it's not been easy and it's, I've not been perfect and I've made mistakes and, mm. you know, but I've, I've, I've got a relationship with my daughter. She comes to stay at the weekends and she's seen me go, go from this man that she loved very dearly to a man that she nearly lost. And, you know, she's been my one constant all the way through. Um, you know, she, uh, I want to share, I don't, I don't usually like do, do a lot of my poetry, but, um, I wrote a poem when I got, I'd, I'd got sober and I was sat in a park and my, my daughter's always been kind of my healer. Um, so I, I hope you don't mind indulging me for a, a moment, but, um, Ooh, please go ahead. It's basically that moment of clarity that I got um, when things had started feeling better. Um, you know, and, and, and this was this was before I moved in. And this was kind of before. Um, before the massive breakdown, but this was when I'd first got sober and it, it kind of puts where my, my head was um, and how I needed to look at my mental health. It's called Playground Battleground. Okay. The sun shining, burning brightly on a gentle July afternoon. Heat kisses the back of my neck, yet slowly soft summer breeze cools the skin on my aging face. And it feels nice, so nice. So there I sit silently, my gaze fixed upon her beauty, 
and she dances to the playful tune of childhood, skipping and laughing. She, away on her travels, imag her imagination working overtime, having an adventure in her own personal wonderland. So I wear a look of pride and love upon my face, a look every doting father will wear. Playground now full, other children joyfully playing to their own childhood songs as their parents look upon them with a similar gaze to my own. So I smile. Yet as she plays, she plays alone and sadness begins to haze my view. Yet she smiles. And I wonder why. Her playful spirit now interrupted as she is taken away from her wonderland in one fleeting moment as she rushes to the aid of an injured child. To her, in her mind, an injured comrade fallen in the battle of the playground war. Wounded, his knee grazed, he's shaking, crying and filled with fear. And she, ever caring, her instinct overtakes and she looks upon her fallen friend with the same loving stare I have seen so many times before. The same loving look she gave her father all too many times before. And it's empathy personified. Her words wise, reassuring and calming. And healing comes as it always does as she smiles. His crying now a gentle sob as his fear begins to subside. And she is so old for one so young. And she gazes lovingly at his tear-stained and dirty face. Her smile turns to grin as she softly says, Wanna play? She takes him by the hand, friends now for the lifetime of her stay in the playground battleground, knowing in reality she may never see him again when daddy takes her home. Yet she smiles. And I still wonder why. So I sit there silently, peacefully for the first time in a long time, filled with pride. And once again, I feel nice. And it's so nice to feel nice. Yeah. <sighs> so deep felt. Yeah. And I still read that, you know. Um, and not through any sort of vanity. I read it because mm. it reminds me of the journey that I've been on, the journey mm. that she's been on as, as my daughter. Yeah. The difference that she sees in her father, she no longer sees her father as the man trying to punch down a, a pine door just to get to her because he thought that, her mother wasn't going to let him see her. Mm, mm. Not the man full of rage and full of anger. Not the violent man, not the liar, not the, the thief, not the, you know, the man that everybody says that her dad is. Actually, the man that she sees as her dad. And, that's, yeah, I, I suppose that. How old is she now? She will be 15 in May. Oh, goodness. Already. Where does time go? Yeah. 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 Where does time go? A whole lifetime. Yeah. And she must have only been about seven, eight there. My goodness. You know. 
And you've done a whole, you've done a poetry book, you said, about yes. your life. And what, what is that called? So that's called A Personal Apocalypse, uh, The Poetic Ramblings of a Troubled Man. And is oh. that available to buy? It is available to buy. It's on Amazon. Okay. Uh, or you can get to the link for, for both my books through my website, uh, jwgreg.wordpress.com. Um, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it, it's fully a poetry book. It, it is a, um, it's the poems that I've written through the years with explanations, but it's, it's a memoir with a poetic overtone, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bit different to your average gangster book. It's a bit different to your, you know, um, mm. It's, it's not something you'd expect to come from a a guy that's been quite violent in his life, to be honest. Um, and yeah, so. I want to ask you, Jack, there's mm -hmm. so many questions I want to ask you, but I don't want to also take it away from the heartfelt and openness that you have shared with us today and I really want to thank you for that because that takes a huge amount of courage to be able to talk so openly and frankly about a very very you can't even put that into words a very traumatic and oh my goodness I don't even know what to say life that just listening to it has really, I will think about this for a long time, but you have instilled hope in me for sure, because and I hope in all the listeners out there, because you've done it. You've climbed so many mountains within yourself. And I know each day we have to take each day as it comes and it's the only real time we have is this moment in time. And I think when we look at life like that, it doesn't become so daunting. Mm. Is you know, you've made it through this day. And let's see what's what's in store for another day, as opposed to worrying about what's been, what's happened, what's gone, because we can't change that. Mm. But what you've done fantastically is change your life. Not only change your own life you are now changing people's lives. How does that make you feel? Um, I'm humbled at times. I'm still mm -hmm. surprised that people listen to me. There's a, I, I go to a, my church, we have a food club on a, a bit like a food bank on a Tuesday morning. I go down, down to the church to program the computer for the, mm -hmm. for the school. And, um, she bought a copy of my book just to, um, I think, just to support me. I, I don't think she was expected to like it or no, you know. Mm. But she'd read it within a week, and then on the Tuesday night when I saw her at the school, she said, um, "I was blown away um, about your honesty uh, and." how brutally honest that, 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 that you were in the book and how open she said, I've, I've never heard things explained mm. like that. And I get dogged with doubt at times and I, I, I doubt my 
you know, I doubt what I do. I doubt my work, like anybody. But I'm still humbled by it. You know, I still get the odd comment on the YouTube videos, uh, on on the Facebook videos, and that people said, you, you know, I get I got contacted by someone that had been through sexual abuse, and they watched one of the um, one of the interviews that I did, and it gave them hope. Yeah. And uh, I'm blown away by that, that, by the fact that actually I've gone from this person that people would cross the road to get away from to this person that people actually listen to and, and take advice from. I never thought I could be that person. I never thought that I'd be that, you know, that mentor. Mm. Uh, because I didn't believe that I, I, I could ever be anything but a mess up i didn't believe that i could ever achieve anything in my life because i was told so many times that i wouldn't um you know uh, and i feel happy and you know i still have my mental illness and that you know and i i, I still suffer from ptsd and you know yeah. it, it gets hard at times but if my life should be anything, it should be a aid to show people that there is hope. It's one thing I have. That's one word that's followed me my whole life is hope. Uh, the church that I go to is called Hope. Um, and I have that for the first time in a, a long time. I have so much that i thought i would never get you know who would have thought eight years ago that i'd be sat here in a converted garden shed that's been turned into a little studio with uh, full of my you know vhs and you know a little bit of a man cave and talking to people like you isn't it incredible how life through some form of grace can completely change yeah it is it is and it's humbling yeah, it's humbling. yeah. And i never knew what humble felt like mm. until i truly felt it there's so many people that can fake humble but um i think once you once you feel it for that first time yeah You'll, you'll you'll never feel it any other way um humility is so so important and i i you know i've worked hard on my recovery i have worked hard and you know my family have have, have worked hard beside me and you know my church and i get i give credit to god but i you know and it's, it's great that we do that but i also need to give credit to myself that uh, you, you know you do i yeah. think we forget that you know we give all the credit to god and, and god likes you know it's great that god gets the credit and I, I i couldn't have done it but there for the grace of god but you know i i've worked hard um there are still people that think that i haven't changed there are still people you know i, I get the odd troll and the, the, there are people that are jealous of success and there are people that will never 
want to see me do anything but fail, but I'm not doing it for them. All I can do is love them enough not to let them get on my mind. Because if I do, I I, I then put myself in danger of, you know, um, yeah. getting resentments, and I, I can't afford to do that. Re re resentment is a a sneaky enemy. It's a little trickster, isn't it? Um, it is. Um, and it can lead to all sorts of other um, things that can become other things and it then becomes a snowball into all sorts of unwanted things. But you have achieved so much in, uh, I suppose, in a short length of time, one can say, because, you know, our life is our life however long or short it is but in a short length of time because you're not old what no. you have done and what you have achieved and um is something that you should be proud of um and people say well you know you can't be proud that's not the thing but you can be proud that you can say to yourself and i always say this to myself jack i say to myself i'm really sorry mimi that i actually tolerated so much nonsense from so many people and from so many things and I'm really sorry that um, I didn't respect myself in so many instances and I think we all have that to a greater or a lesser degree so yes yeah. you're right firstly and foremost um, God in his divine wisdom and his, in his mercy and grace has saved you so many times mm -hmm. you are on you have um, a big role to play here. This is no mean, you know, this is a big role. It's not a small little um, act. This is the real deal. And all those people that troll or whoever do any sort of nonsense, it's really irrelevant. Um, people sometimes say to me, I feel I regret this, I regret this. And I think, yes, I think we all have regrets in our life. But the most important thing is, what are we going to do now? Mm. Because in every second, we can change our life. You have shown that with your life. Your life is an example now to other people of how no matter what trauma, tragedy, sorrow you have been through, you have managed to get up, and not just, you know, talk about things. You're actually doing things. Really, you should tap yourself on the back, Jack, because sometimes we need to be told this, that actually, you know, listening to your story, who lives a life like that? Who could survive a life like that? Let alone get up and then try in your own way to make the world a better place. Mm. There's the thing that I find is that there's still a lot of misunderstanding about people and addiction, and there's still a lot of mm. um, hate there from some people. Um, there's not a lot of education there for some people, and I feel that. 
I've lived a, a, a certain life and I need to educate about that and the people that I speak to on a daily basis and the people that I get on my own podcast and, you know, the people that I'm interviewed by, like yourself, you know, I, I always say that we should be open and brutally yeah. honest, brutally honest with ourselves and with other people because people need to see that and they also need to hear more men um, yeah. speaking about the toxicity that was in their lives you know i was brought up in in, in a time when you know when a, a man didn't cry a man didn't show his emotions a man didn't talk about his feelings and over this past couple of years, I've lost so many people well, of my lifetime, but especially over this past couple of years, I've lost so many people to suicide um, because of that toxicity around how other people view suicide and view mental illness. And, mm. you know, there's, there's so many men that are struggling out there. And I want to show that it's okay for men, even manly, big manly men to show their emotions, to show what's on the inside. And it's okay to cry. There's there's a lot of men think it's weak to cry and it's the strongest thing that you can do. You know, every I think pretty much every interview I do, I hold myself from back from ugly crying at times. Um, because, you, you, you know, to be so honest, and, and to lay yourself bare, it's not the easiest thing. And it's not the easiest no. thing for me. And it's, it's, it is one of my giants that I face that I try to slay. Um, you know, I, I don't like, I'm, you know, I don't like breaking down in front of people. But if it's going to be done, it is going to be done. And, you know, no need to lie about it. No need to, you know, if yeah. you need to cry, you need to cry. Men need to cry, so, you know. Absolutely. Everybody needs to cry. And. You know, I always think of it like this. And someone once said to me a long time ago, Jack, that your greatest strength is actually in your gentleness. Mm. And because the gentle are the strongest, they can reveal their heart. And people say to me, you live in an ideal world. You have um, rose-colored glasses on. You know, that world doesn't exist. And I said, well, actually... Within me, that world does exist. And that's what's important because I don't want, I know there are terrible things out there, absolutely horrific things. And I've seen some terrible things in my life. But having said that, I haven't lost faith in humanity because I do believe that people deserve a second chance. I do believe that when you are open with somebody, you know, if you see someone shatter in front of you, the natural instinct, I still believe this, of any human being is to try to pick that person up, you know. Um, and in sharing your story, it actually encourages other people to share their story and hopefully to heal their story. Yeah. Yeah, we need healing. Yeah. Um, words, words are a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
that's why books can inspire um, love or inspire hate. Word, you know, word, mm-hmm. words can do this. They're a powerful thing. Um, I've found them very healing. I've found creativity very healing um, because. It opens up not just your heart but your soul mm. because, because when you, you know when, when you write or when when you speak words or are you speaking honestly it it creates a gateway um and we true. can we we can try to inspire um yeah. love or we can try to inspire hate there are too many people out there trying to inspire hate so I'm all about the love um and education um showing love to your family to your friends to anybody that you can you know um tell someone that you love them um because i love you are three words that can turn a heart tender again and whether that's from a family member or whether that's from god himself it's um it's the most powerful thing that's out there. And don't be afraid to love. I think this is no. the most important thing that people are afraid to love and to be loved. Mm. But unless we do everything with love. And for me, it it's something that runs through me very deeply. And mm. everything I do, I try to do with love. Otherwise, I can't be bothered to do it. I just don't bother mm. because it's just empty and tasteless so i believe that we should allow that love to run within us to flow within us and it's like the love of your daughter has been incredible um in saving your life from how it sounds to me it's been a constant thread of strength Yeah, it has. Um, I suppose it's because we all search for it. We all want to be loved by someone. We can't be hated by everyone, can we? No. And, um, you know, it is the deepest part of connection. Um, the thing, the trauma, the thing that, hates the thing that guilt the thing that shame the thing that addiction takes away from you is connection it robs you of connection with yourself with your family with god and when you start working on that um these connections start rebuilding and i i guess that's you know why I, I i do a lot of the podcasts and um you know speak to a lot of people is to get that connection that reconnection because we need to be connected to the outside world because we need to feel that love we need to feel you know we all need a, a, a you know a, i don't seek approval from anyone but god um, and I know that he leads me in, in ways where I not only connect with other people, but I get them connecting with other people as well. Um, because once you hear it, it opens you up to it. 
um you know uh, i've tried to walk away from connection because i was scared um but like i say it's facing these giants and you know um what was it david was 14 when he stood in front of uh goliath yeah and took him down with a with a rock and not only did this 14 year old take him down with a rock he went out and took his brothers down his, his three brothers mm. um you know and he became a leader he made mistakes you know but he he became a leader and uh you know there's there's so many people that have been filled with doubt and they've seen that there is another way that's um, important to see that there is another way and that wherever you've been it doesn't mean that that's where you're going to end up and that's where you're <laughs> going to go it has to be the pivot point of one's life yeah. to you know and if you as a person jack can stand there in a way being the bridge between helplessness despair for people to hope I think that's a pretty good life. Yeah, but I th also think that we have to show the distinction between helplessness and hopelessness. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, we are often helpless, but now very rarely hopeless. Yes. Um, yes. What I've had to realize is that to succeed, you need to lose because and you have to be able to accept those losses um because they build character and i've seen a lot of loss i've seen a lot of grief i've seen a lot of hurt through my life and i didn't think that i could deal with that but it's built character mm -hmm. um you know i whereas i built a character for myself and became who i wanted people to see um actually those things that were happening to me you know through the abuse through the addiction through the fighting through the crime through the homelessness through the uh, you know through everything um mm. it's built resilience it's built survival um you know we start off and we are the victims of our circumstance mm. um and we're in that victim mentality and then we get through it and we realize that actually we've got a bit of resilience in there so we become survivors um, mm. and we get the survivor mentality and it's really really easy to get stuck in that mentality and be a survivor for the rest of your life mm. and i was a survivor when i you, you, you know um when i got clean I, you know i became a survivor what people don't realize is that there is another level to that and that's thriver you know we're not just meant to survive we're meant to thrive we are made to thrive um and that is what i'm doing now that's what the people that i speak to uh, on a regular basis are doing now um because we've clicked that we need to go from survivor to thriver 
and still we have survival mode and things like that. That's that's a perfectly natural thing. But uh, in order to do what we need to do, and in order for me to carry a message and carry that message of, of, of hope, is that mm. we need to thrive. Otherwise, if we're just stuck in survival mode, all we can talk about is survival, survival, survival. Yes, well, there is yeah. a new life after that, and that is to thrive. True. That is to thrive in the family, in your community, in your work, to find new work, to find your path, your passion. Um, and mine just happens to be words, and mine happens to be film, and I, I'm very, very blessed to be able to be involved in both. I think it's beautiful, actually, what you've just said. It's from being a survivor to changing that, because you could be stuck always as a survivor. But the point is, we don't diminish that, that we have survived, but we have to move on. And we have to go from that state to another state to move on to move on as souls, to move on as people. And I think that's what you have shown. Your life is a testimony to that. Mm. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much, really, Jack, You're very welcome. for coming on. It's, I'm really honoured, actually, that you were so honest and that you have been so candid in all of what you have said it really means a lot because for me it's humbling that someone has spent you know the past hour or so truly opening their heart and soul it means a lot and I'm very very grateful to you and thank you for having me on and indulging me while I, I speak I, I did warn you that I can um, <laughs> go over the hour but uh, no 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 it doesn't matter there's you know the guests lead the show. I always say that. And But before you go, so if people want to contact you or to know more about your work, are you happy for that to happen? Yes, please. Okay, where can they get hold of you? So um, they can get hold of me, like I said before, through the website, which is jwgreg.wordpress.com. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, dot com forward slash jw greg which is the accidental journalist facebook page um that's where you can see a lot of my um interviews and um you can get links to the books and things like that um mm -hmm. yeah uh drop me a message on there uh, it's got a message facility and you can drop me a private inbox there oh. if you've got any so you know if anybody's got any questions uh, you know, even if it's just to say, Jack, why do you speak so much? You know, I always <laughs> welcome people to jump in my inbox and, and you know, uh, say what they need to say, really. Mm. Um, I, I believe in the freedom of, of speech. Um, and if people really adverse to what I've said, then please do drop in my inbox and tell me. Um, because I believe that everybody should have a say. Um, and we shouldn't be censoring anybody, uh, no matter what your belief. We should be educating, but not censoring. Um, yes, through that, uh, um, there's a contact form on the website. Um, click on that, and that will take you straight to my email. Okay. And with regards to the books and everything, 
Yeah, so the books... They're all in print, are, are they? Are they available in um, hardback or ebook? What sort of they format? Are, they are available for £1.99 on uh, Kindle mm-hmm. um, or free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, and they're available in paperback for £9.95 um, through Amazon. Or if you want a signed copy, mm-hmm. drop me a message um, and I'll do one um, for about £12, including, including postage. Um, well, yeah. that would be nice. I won't Dad. charge any extra for the book. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just post it out mm. if you drop me your address and, and um, mm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a where, where you can pay. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll gladly send them out. I've got, I've got another. Um, I'm currently personally sold out, but I've got some more coming in the next few days. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, please do drop drop me a message or I'll get them on, on Amazon. The first book is called A Personal Apocalypse, mm-hmm. The Poetic Ramblings of a Troubled Man. And the second one is called Between the Streetlights and Red Lights, Escaping Human Trafficking, Sexual Slavery and Exploitation. Okay, that would be a very interesting set of books to read, for sure. Now, before you go, before you go, Jack, I always ask my guests this at the end. So as they have the last words, so to speak, in a couple of lines, something from you, from really from your heart that you would like to share with people that could help people out there when they're feeling down, when they're feeling that they can't go on or they have lost that hope in life. A couple of lines of something that's helped you in your life. I would have to say, you might think that you're alone. You might think that nobody dare to listen you might think that nobody loves you. These are all lies. You are loved by more people than you think. You're loved by me too. There is always a way. You're robbed of your connection, you're disconnected. Please connect with someone, with anybody. Connect with me. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to leave it on that. And I want to say to you, I wish you all the very best in life, Jack. And keep shining that light and keep showing those people out there, all of us kindred souls out of the darkness. I will try. That's all we can do. Yeah, I will do my very best. Take care. And do come back again. And if you have any more sort of projects going on or you have any sort of news for us come back and share it would be delightful to have you back on i will it'd be an honor and, and thank you for being such a great host 
Oh, thank you very much. You know, it's 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 it's, it's, it's really nice to be interviewed by someone who is um, you know empathic and and softly spoken um, and and really knows um, the difficulties of of some other people. I I you know. There have been some podcasts that I, you know, unfortunately the connection hasn't been there um, Mm -hmm. because of the way that some people are. So, yeah, thank you for being such a great host and, um, yeah, being a great guide, uh, really, in this conversation. Thank you. And thank you for being such a fabulous guest. That's the important thing. Thank you. Oh, have a wonderful evening. I hope it's relaxing. I hope it's peaceful. And I hope there's some coffee and snacks to be had after this. Yeah, I'm going to go get my coffee now. (laughs) All right, then. Take care, Jack. Take care. Thank you. Uh, Bye. Bye. Jack Gregory, what a story. Like every story in life, It is so unique to us. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are absolutely appreciated. Until next time, enjoy life and stay safe. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk.